Hi, everybody. Um, if I haven't got to meet you yet, my name is Katia. I have the joy of leading this community uh, with my amazing husband, Julian, who is not here today. He is, I think he's in Kentucky. I might be wrong. Um, <laughs> I can't remember, but he is somewhere. He is preaching in Kentucky, I think, and um, senses love. He is ministering to a, a community there, and um, I love something about this house and that we get to be ascending community, and that wherever Julian goes to minister, it's actually an extension of what God is doing in this house, and so um, I want to encourage you guys to be praying for him. Um, they're gonna, they've got one more meeting to go tonight where it's going to be a Holy Spirit encounter night, and I'm just really trusting. In fact, why don't we just pray together for a moment? Lord, we, we thank you for the privilege of sending Julian to go and minister across this nation. And we just pray right now that, Holy Spirit, you would overwhelm that community. You would uh, just fire and wind would come into that room. And that as Julian ministers tonight, what he describes with his mouth, you would confirm with your hand, Lord Jesus, that there would be power present in a remarkable way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isn't it fun that church doesn't have to be neat and tidy and we can just do normal things like this? So good. We have been um, in a series on the church, the wisdom of God on display. And that's um, from a verse in Ephesians that talks about, Ephesians 3 uh, talks about how uh, God chose the church to display his manifold, his multifaceted wisdom, to, de to declare it among the rulers and the authorities in the heavens above and on the earth below. There's something so incredibly powerful about being the people of God, um, both in the global reality of being one body, we've talked about this a lot, both in the global reality of being one body and in the local expression, because in the New Testament, the global is always pinned in the local. There is no kind of theoretical Christianity. It's always pinned into a practical local expression. And that goes for the church too. Whilst it is true that the church is not in the confines of a building, this isn't the definition of church in terms of coming on a Sunday and meeting at four together, but it is part of the definition of church. And it is an essential part. And so there's something that God created, the global body and the local expression, to be a megaphone of his wisdom on the earth, which is why the church cannot be built according to human wisdom. If it is built according to human wisdom, it will never be a megaphone of the wisdom of God because the wisdom of God looks like the foolishness of man. And so there's got to be a reality where we lean into heaven and lean into the wisdom of the Father in order to build because we cannot do it through earthly strategy. It will not work. And so we've said right from the planting days of the table, we are not interested in the collective sum of our gifts and talents. We're not interested in uh, finding any leadership guru to help us in how to strategize going from 100 to 500 to 1,000. What we're doing is leaning in on the wisdom of the Father and saying, what would you like to do here? How would you like to do it? Because it's not just the what, but the how that interests him. And so we've, it's been such a fun series. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've actually really enjoyed enjoyed this series. I felt like God has really spoken to me about what we are to build as a house. And we talked uh, over the last, I think it's six weeks, I might be wrong on that, but we've talked about 
Um, we've talked about men and women uh, and how we're to come alongside each other to be ministers of the gospel together. We've talked about one new man in Christ, Ephesians 2, how God takes uh, from every background and creates one new man in the body and that there is no racial hierarchy in the body, but we all come equal before the cross made one together. It's a beautiful uh, calling that the church has to create context where everyone can belong because in that context the wisdom of God is put on display. Um, last week, I'm skipping over some of them, but last week we had our friend Jordan Vernon with us. Was that a week ago? It feels like five months ago, but it was last week and he came and he spoke about church leadership. Uh, and I know that that's not a topic that people enjoy very much at the moment. Throw off all restraint, throw off all authority. That's rife within the church too. But actually, if we're building according to the the wisdom of God. We've got to take scripture seriously. And there's the reality of God-ordained church leadership, which is part of what makes church, church. Me and my friends hanging out in my house are not actually a biblical reality of the local expression of church. It is a biblical reality of part of the body of Christ coming together as beautiful community and fellowship. But it is not what the Bible describes as the local community of God in terms of the local church, because that required church leadership leadership that was God-ordained. And that is, if we're going to lean into how God does things, we've got to submit ourselves to the reality of Scripture inviting us into a place of having God-ordained church leaders. And I would be saying this if I wasn't the pastor of this church, because I've been saying it for many years before I became pastor of this church, okay? And so today we're going to wrap up this brilliant series, and uh, we're just going to look at really this concept of why is the local church a big deal? Like, why does it matter? After everything that we've said, I think many of us will understand the concept. Okay, global is rooted in the local, I get that. But like, why? Why should we come together as a church? Why does it matter that we meet together? Why does it matter that you turn up on a Sunday? I believe this is actually one of the most revolutionary sermons I've got to preach. And I didn't actually realize it would be so revolutionary. Except over the last few months, I have got probably the biggest amount of hate mail online for, <laughs> for an incredibly controversial message that says community as a Christian is important. It has been fascinating. Now listen, I'm a female pastor. I know something about <laughs> controversial topics. I wrote a book on men and women in ministry. I know something about controversial topics in the church today. I have been stunned by how much anger and resistance there is, not from the world, but from Christians, people who call themselves Christians, okay, against meeting together as a local church. You would not believe the amount of hate that has come from people who say they're followers of Jesus around the message of meeting together as Christians. No, 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 we don't have to do it. How dare you say that? Don't you know about leadership abuse? Don't you know that we don't have to do that? Don't you know that online church is just good enough? How dare you say that you've got, like, it's full on. Now, I'm not taking personal offense about it because it's not my idea. But... <laughs> 
But what has been fascinating to me is that we live in times where there is so much hurt and so much lack of vision around what the local church is for, not the global church, the local church, that Christians in their hundreds, their thousands, I'm assuming tens of thousands, are leaving the church because they no longer have a vision for why God thinks the church in local community is a good idea. This is much more than what kind of habits do you have as a Christian, although we'll talk about that in a second. But ultimately, the root of this is what do you believe about the methods of God? That's where the battle around this is. Because it's not that we as Christians are confused about what the Bible says, although some of us might be, hopefully this message will bring some clarity. But I actually think it goes deeper, the root of why Christians feel like the local church community in terms of me turning up to a church on Sunday and making that place home. We'll talk about that in a second. But why there is such a debate about that, I believe is because as Christians, we are getting more and more drawn into a space where we're not sure we believe God really knows best. And we're kind of picking and choosing which of his methods we love. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Thumbs up to that method. We like that method. (laughs) Do not give up meeting together, thumbs down, we don't like that message, right? We, we're picking and choosing. We talk about this often. We've got to allow Scripture to shape us. We are not invited to shape Scripture. Yeah. And so I, I'm just really aware, and I'm not trying to be flippant. I, I want you to hear me. I know there are poor models of leadership all over the church. I know that there are church leaders who have failed so staggeringly that you would wonder, are they really saved? It's just unbelievable. I know that every single one of us are only one step away from catastrophic failure. See, the problem is so many of us, we're so willing to throw stones at other Christians who we think have fallen short of the mark, and yet the Bible says to us, be careful, you who are judging the other, because you have no idea how close you are to the edge yourself. I want to say that as a church leader, I am incredibly sorry for anyone who has ever experienced hurt or abuse from the hands of a leader, but I want you to to understand that I say that not with self-righteousness of how could they but with fear and trembling of God keep me in your grace I am so aware we all walk a tightrope and but for the grace of God there go I and there go you which is why we've got to be so careful before we're ready picking up all these stones to hurl before we're ready to burn down the house because someone else's fault, we've got to understand we ourselves are walking a tightrope of grace. And when we hear of church hurt, when we hear of horrific abuse, when we hear of terrible things happening, first of all, our response, of course, we want to grieve with those who've been hurt. We want to ask the Lord, God, how do we do this? How do we go? Where do we go from here? But I want us to be careful of two things. First of all, do not judge. The Bible tells us what you judge, you become like. Unless you want to fall into exactly the same sin that you are judging, Keep your mouth shut. The second I want to say is do not fall into Christian voyeurism and gossip. 
And I want to be really clear on this. Podcasts that come out about communities that we know nothing of, leaders that we do not know personally, that go through episode after episode of dissecting their failure and talking about it as if we can sit with popcorn and look at the failure of the church. I want to tell you that is voyeurism, that is gossip, and it is toxic. It is a poison coming into the church. I cannot tell you how many people have told me about one show or another put on on worldly systems. They've asked me, have you watched that? Because we should really learn from these. You do not go to demonic thought processes and learn from them. If Jesus wants to teach me, he can teach me. But I will not sit and listen to gossip and strife and poison and allow it to disciple me. We are living in a generation where we have to filter. We have to stand our ground. We have to fight warfare. We have to ask ourselves, is this a tool of the enemy or a tool of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus did not teach through gossip. He did not teach through judgment and poison. Careful, careful what you consume to learn from. Because we're living in a generation that is drinking poison and thinks we are doing ourselves good. And the church is struggling. The church is falling to pieces, not because of one or two people's faults or hundreds of people's faults, but because we as a Christian culture have begin to, begun to consume judgment and offense against others. And we are destroying ourselves in the process. I want to tell you, you attending a local church and committing to a local church is one of the most revolutionary acts of resistance you will ever carry out. I've been in church a long time. I, I am I'm not exaggerating when I say I know we've touched a stronghold. What I have been seeing and reading, again, I want to be clear, none of it is personally offensive. I'm not worried, right? I hope you're hearing me on that. This is not the point of this. But it has clarified for me there is a stronghold in the church that is the idolatry of self-righteousness, the idolatry of my thinking over God's thinking. And God is wanting to bring a revolution, not to the world, but to the church, to believe again in his methodology. You know, there are two extreme um, thoughts around the local church. One is that the local church, me turning up on a Sunday, is the be-all and end-all of my Christian religion. That I go to church, I dress up, well, you can really tell I, I adhere to this. <laughs> I look my Sunday best. I put my smile on. I pretend all is good. Skin deep Christianity. And then I live my life. And that Sunday slot becomes the be all and end all of my Christian religious experience. It's unbiblical. That kind of church reality doesn't exist in the New Testament. The other extreme we've already talked about is the extreme of, I am the church. It's in some ways a response to the fake 
Sunday smile, Sunday best. And it swings the other direction of the global body. I am the church. Sunday doesn't define me. That also is unbiblical. That kind of Christianity did not exist in New Testament. Even as churches were being established, there is such a commitment to meeting together, to um, really deeply doing life together. We'll look at this in a second. To adhering to the teaching of a house, to submitting to leadership, not because leadership was perfect. We'll talk about that in a second. If you want to talk about leadership abuse and problems, we'll look at the New Testament. There's nothing in here that the world hasn't seen already. It's just, it's rife, okay? But there was such a commitment to being the people of God, not just in theory, but in local expression. There's such a commitment to churches being planted and it's being seen only as completed when elders are put in place. Paul talks to Titus, probably the most prolific church planter that we know of in Scripture. He talks to Titus and he says, I've left you there in Crete so that you can complete the work by setting elders in all of the communities. None of those plants were seen as complete until there was church leadership over them. This is profound. There's something that the New Testament is pulling us into. What a thing to surrender ourselves to in this time, in this season. And so I, I want to talk about, where are we in notes? Who knows? I want to talk about the how, the what, the why of local church. And I, I really am trusting that, first of all, God will bring healing because uh, many of us will have been hurt in local churches. That's not a question of if, it's just the reality of being human beings. No matter where you are with a group of people, you'll get hurt, okay? But I believe that God wants to bring freedom to men and women who have been hemmed in by that hurt and it's restricted our experience of local church life because God is inviting us into healing depth in this community, not because the table is perfect, it is not. Uh, in the early days, I still say this to most people who join the church, but in the early days, my pitch for joining the table was, are you okay with leaders disappointing you? That was my like really exciting pitch. Come and join the table. We're 10 people. We're just planting. It'll be really exciting. Just one thing you need to know about us, I will definitely disappoint you. It's reality. But God wants to give us a vision of the local church, not that is rooted in hope that our leaders will be great, but in, rooted in the reality and the hope that Jesus knows what he's doing. When Jesus invites us to belong to local church, he is not stupid, he is not irrelevant, he is not blind to the brokenness of human beings even in the church, but he has an intentionality about why we should be part of the local church. And if we really believe he knows what he's doing, we'll submit ourselves to his ways even when it doesn't make sense to us. And so I really believe that there's healing on offer today, there's freedom on offer not because you'll suddenly come into a realization, finally, at last, I found a perfect community. You haven't. But that today there will be revelation. Jesus knows what he's saying. He understands. He is intentional. The creator of all things is inviting me into local church, not because he's hoping that one day there will be a perfect one, but because he knows how to use the imperfect. Let's talk about the how. We're going to read Acts 2. 
really famous passage of scripture. We'll anchor ourselves here and then kind of flick around the New Testament a bit. Acts 2 verse 42, all the believers, I'm reading from the NLT today, which is fun, I don't normally, so. It's always good to shake up the translations you use because sometimes we get very used to what we know and so it's good to change things up a little bit. It stretches our minds. Anyway, that's not the point of this sermon. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, a word that is koinonia in the Greek, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Teaching, fellowship, sharings of what they had, and to prayer, four aspects of the local church community. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. If you're hungry for signs and wonders, commit to a local church. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper. Notice that a local community touches temples and homes. It's not one or the other. It's both and. Sunday meetings matter. So do Wednesdays in the homes. So do your Thursday coffees with your friends from this community. Temples and homes involved. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Super simple message here. What is the how of this local expression? Devotion. Devotion is the how. What it looked like, what it came through was devotion. This is no half-hearted, dip in, dip out kind of community. I want us to understand that not all of these believers worked for a local church. This wasn't like a staff of 3,000 people. They all had their own, like sometimes we read the New Testament, like none of them had jobs. They all sat around all day. Food fell. It was like a second manna. Food fell from heaven. None of them needed to worry about their rent or their property or their education or what they were doing with their kids. No, no. The children were so holy that they all levitated. It was easy. What they were experiencing is what we experienced. They were living normal life. They were still going to work. They were still raising their kids. They were still trying to figure out everything about their lives, not about just about the church. Who will I marry? There were relationships going on, right? This is just normal human beings. They were not some kind of abnormal group, which is why it worked. But for all of them, not because they were staff at the local church so they were paid to show up, but because they were so convinced of what God was doing in bringing his kingdom through the body of Christ, which required a local expression, they were devoted to what was on offer in the local community. They gave their all. They turned up. Now, this is not a message saying 
that you have to, I, I actually have like a secret book that I write everyone's names in when you turn up on a Sunday and that, that's how I create the hierarchy of who's really spiritual in a community. You can get to an extreme, right? Where people are poor stewards of their families and their jobs and their everything else. They have no time to tell anyone in the city about Jesus because they're in church 24-7 even though they should be at work. They call in sick and lie because they go into a church meeting, right? That, that's not the extreme that I'm talking about. But in culture, we're a way off that extreme, in culture right now, that is not the problem we're fighting. The problem we're fighting is that there is apathy towards the local church. I was listening to a message actually from a friend of mine in this city, Brian Owen. He leads Grace City. It's a great community. You should check it out. But stay here. But you should check it out. We love you, Brian. But he was preaching, and I just saw a little clip of it, and he was talking about how Christians today, uh, we can consume we can criticize or we can commit to the local church. And I thought, gosh, that is so insightful. Then the New Testament believers, the early church understood commitment in devotion. They were there. They were present. This word devotion, it means earnest towards something. It means perseverance. Oh, I didn't like Katya's message from Sunday. You know what? I'm going to skip two Sundays. Take a break persevere through even terrible teaching. It means constantly diligent. It means attending continually. It means adhering closely. Devotion. We live in, in times where people are consuming church at a rate second to none. Oh, I, I belong to five communities online. Okay. It is a gift that we have so many, so many beautiful churches online. We stream our own messages mostly with the intention of helping people in our own house who are unable to be here for work or whatever reason. But it's not that I think streaming is wrong. But I, I recognize that it's leaning into a real lack of health in the church at large where we're just consuming our favorite preachers, our this and that. Oh, I like the worship here, so I'll pick that up. And I like the teaching here, and I'll pick that up. And we basically are spiritually obese, consuming everything we can, but committing nowhere. Where do you tithe? Where do you allow yourself to be pastored? Pastoring in the Bible, we've talked about this, is not just your hype man, your cheerleader, yay, yay, go, you can do it. Pastoring in the New Testament is rebuking, is correcting, is steering you away from false teaching, is saying, no, no, that's the wrong way, do not do that, right? That's New Testament pastoring. Where do you allow yourself to be pastored? Because that's part of the reality of being devoted to a community, if not, we are people who just dip in and out everywhere we go. We just consume and consume and consume. I was listening to a preacher who I, who I so respect. And he was, Julian uh, and I were guest preachers at his community. I won't say where, because um, I don't want to get him in trouble, but he was 100% correct. And he was um, speaking to his community at offering time. And he said, listen, if you're not giving, I don't care how much you earn, because it's not about Generosity is not about what's in your bank balance. It's everything to do with your heart, okay? When someone says to me, oh, I'll give when I get that next paycheck or I'll give when I make my money, I'm like, you'll never give. There's never enough money in all the world to switch on generosity in our hearts. 
And that's important for us to get. But anyway, he was talking to his community and he said, if you're here, if you come and listen to sermons, but you do not give regularly, you are someone who is consuming, but you are not part of this house. Wow. But he's right. Because if we listen to the Bible, that's what the Bible is teaching us. The how of local church is not, ah, I'll come if I feel like it. Ah, I don't like what this person's saying. Sideline criticism. Let's get a few of my friends together so we can talk about this other person at church who I don't like. Or, you know, that worship leader, let's just talk about them. I don't appreciate it. Let's talk together about what Katya said that I didn't like. Do you know how many times I've had to, in the last three years, deal with someone's offense, either against me or about someone else in the community? And the simple question is, have you spoken to the person you are so offended with? And the answer is no. I don't understand it. How can we be so self-righteous in our own offense and yet so blind to the fact that we are showing our immaturity because we're doing exactly the opposite of what the Bible tells us to do? The beautiful thing is this, this community has so many who are devoted. So this is not a conversation of how bad we are. This is a conversation where I hope we will all get a vision of why we do what we do why it matters. This isn't just about your regular weekly schedule. You are doing something that is breaking strongholds in this city. You are doing something that is shattering idols in the body of Christ. Every time you rock up, especially when it was difficult to get here, you were literally putting a stake in the ground of the kingdom coming against the kingdom of darkness. It's powerful what we do. Again, I want to say, God knows what he's talking about. If this matters to God, my question is, why? I was praying in the worship time. God, like, I don't know why. I'm going to give you some clues as to why. But sometimes, honestly, we come in and we go out and I'm like, I'm just tired, Lord. <laughs> yes, your pastor feels that way sometimes. Especially when she woke up at 4 a.m. with two young kids and a puppy. God help our puppy. Anyway, that's not the point. <laughs> Needs deep intercession, our puppy, but that's not the point. Save him, Lord. But in these moments, as I'm praying today, Jesus, I'm here because I believe you. That's what it boils down to. I'm giving my life to this, not because it makes sense to me always, because I want to promise you so often it does not. But I believe him, and I know that he's not reckless. I know he doesn't just do things at random. I know he knows the best way forward. Devotion, all-out pursuit, no half-heartedness, no cultural religion. Devotion that touched their homes as much as it called them to the temple. Devotion, despite the fact that they had jobs and families, but the kingdom coming through the local community was their primary goal. There's something really profound and provoking about that. What does this look like for us? I'm not suggesting you all quit your jobs. Please don't. The kingdom needs to come through you in your workplace. But what does it look like? What does it look like for us to say to our bosses, and I know some of you have done this, hey, is it possible for me not to be scheduled on for a Sunday? What does it look like for us to say to our college tutors, 
hey, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a Christian and I'm committed to the local church. You keep scheduling rehearsals on for a time that I need to be at church. Listen, I'm not saying that we'll always get an answer, but I know that God will be pleased because the motivation behind that question is, God, I believe you and I want to do my utmost while stewarding the context you've given me. I want to do my utmost to devote, to devote myself to a community. There's something profound about that. Now, I know there's going to be moments where that's just not possible. I know there's going to be moments where you say that to your boss and your boss says, no. But that's not the point, is it? Because your responsibility isn't the ultimate end point. Your responsibility is your act of faith. That's an interesting one for some of us. That's the how, all-out devotion. The what. I talked about this. I pointed this out. Teaching, fellowship, koinonia, prayer, and materials being shared. That's actually the depth of a local church. That's really what it comes down to. There's something about submitting to the teaching of a house not brainlessly, not checking out your brain and allowing any heresy to waft in. That's not what I'm suggesting. That's what a cult is, and we're not suggesting that that happen. But there is something about allowing what the teaching of the house is to, to apply it through Scripture and then to allow it to shape your life. There's something about saying, I love Bill Johnson, and I love Michael Miller, and I love all these phenomenal preachers all over the world, and I genuinely do. These men and women, Christine Kane, Joyce Meyer, a woman who pioneered when there was no women to speak of, Beth Moore, phenomenal giants in the faith. I listen to their preaching. I love and honor and respect their preaching, but there is something about the local expression where you're able to listen to all sorts of preaching, but there is something that you... As a matter of priority, you want to know what the teaching of the house is because you're walking together with a house in a specific city for a specific mission. It matters. This is what they were doing. Now, of course, I know they didn't have online options. I get that. But there is a reality of them leaning in to the teaching in their local expression that is beautiful and I believe is a gift from God for the body. They lent into prayer. We've done this so many times as a community and we'll keep going because I believe God wants to create wildfire in our prayer meetings. And there is something about gathering together within the same group of people again and again and again and pursuing Jesus together. There's something so powerful about that. They shared what they had. Their community touched their wallets. This isn't just about tithing, although tithing is really important. It is a biblical requirement to give generously as the people in the new community, okay? This isn't a message on generosity, though. Not to the local church in terms of the corporate moment. But what's beautiful is that they shared what they had with one another, that they had people in their homes, that they shared meals together, they cooked for each other. It wasn't that the angels brought the meal together. Someone cooked for somebody else. There was this reality of what was happening in their community. Their devotion to one another, their devotion to meeting together ended up touching their wallets. 
I want to encourage us to be a church like that. And I know that there are so many stories in this community of people giving money in different places, unseen, uncelebrated, which is a beautiful way to do it, by the way. It's so deeply biblical. That's what a local church looked like. And then this word, fellowship, koinonia, it's a word that means partnership, contribution, participation, fellowship. They, they were deeply connected in what they were doing and they were together participating in a mission. That's what the local church is about. That's the what of local church all across homes and temples. Last one. You guys doing okay? How, what, why? Ultimately, why? What is this all for? What is this all about? Why not me just online part of great communities, finding better preachers than we can possibly have here. And there are better preachers. I, I've, I've got no question about that. But that's not the point, is it? So then why? Why is it that God says, devote yourself here when I could give the same amount of time to something online that is better? Two things. Mission, maturity. I believe it is impossible to do either of those things in a healthy way without local expression. When you look through our acts and then read the epistles, this is what I was talking about in Titus, there is no mission that is seen as complete without local church expression. The most prolific early missionaries, that was their concluding point. They didn't see that mission as fully fulfilled until a local church was there with elders in place. Why? Because that's where new mission sprung up. That's where people found running partners in order to see the kingdom come again and again and again in multiplied ways. Missionaries who are loners are dangerous. There's no question about it. You can come online and hate all you want. Missionaries who are loners, Christians who are loners are dangerous because the Bible talks about we communally knowing the mind of Christ. The Bible talks about we communally weighing what God is speaking to the community. We communally understanding scripture together as we submit ourselves to the work of Christ in community. The reality is if you are alone, if you refuse to submit to anybody else in in, in Christian community locally, what you're doing is saying, I know all I need to know, and that is a lie. You cannot, on your own, as a Christian, know all that you need to know. It is an impossibility. Scripture directly confronts that kind of thinking. You need local community to know what you are meant to know in the city and in the season that you are in. Mission does not happen healthily outside of local church expression. And I want to be really clear. I love, there are, I honor so many movements that are kind of parachurch organizations. Movements that aren't just about planting churches necessarily, but they're employing and deploying people in mission all over. But I want to say to you, in the new community of believers in the New Testament, that kind of ministry always was rooted towards the local church. It's not a choice of this or that. The local church takes precedence in the New Testament. It's not my idea. But I believe Jesus knows what he's talking about. 
And so I submit myself to his methodology. The second thing is maturity. Ephesians 4, Philippians 2, 2 Peter 1, it goes on and on and on. But the local church, local community, Christians who allow grace flow to you are intended for maturity. You cannot become fully grown as a Christian in isolation. You can't do it. It is impossible. And I want to say this. There are some really broken families in the world, nuclear families, really abusive ones, horrible stories that you hear about parents doing awful things. The wrong conclusion would be we need to burn down the nuclear family. The wrong conclusion would be because abuse happens from the hands of mothers or fathers on occasions, we should scrap the nuclear family and children should just grow wild. That would be the wrong conclusion. I think we're all together on that. We need to build healthy family. We need to figure out how to support and train. We need to figure out how to remove abusive parents. But the answer is not, let's destroy parenting altogether. The answer is, support vulnerable children and empower healthy family. The same is true of the church. Abusive church contexts are not proof that the church should not exist in the local. That's absurd. We don't do that with nuclear families. We shouldn't do that with church families because the same is true in both contexts. To be, to be the best possible version of maturity, healthy family is the best way to get there. And the same is true of church. To be fully grown, you need local community that is healthy. You'll see it once in a while. You meet people who you know their family context was crazy and they just didn't grow up in family. And you'll see them as adults and they'll do things that are just a bit odd. And it's not anything to do as a reflection on them, but it's the reality that you can see they didn't have healthy family. Simple things like mealtimes. You can see this person doesn't know what to do and they get up at the wrong time and they leave the table and you're kind of like, we're still in the middle of dinner, where are you going? And, but it's a recognition of, I understand because you didn't have a healthy family. I get it. But there's something about maturity that comes, a wholeness that comes in people who've had great families. You see it. There's a difference in behavior. There's an understanding of how to be a whole, mature adult. Know how to relate to people emotionally. They're not scared of their emotions. They know how to lean in. But they're also not oversharers because they didn't get attention at home. They, there's this maturity. Same is true in church. There is something beautiful that God wants to mature in us if we will stay in healthy community long enough to be shaped by it. And it's painful because there'll be discipline, not like me drawing you into my office and telling you off, not that kind of discipline. I hope not anyway. It's not my favorite. But more, it is the challenge of having someone next to you sand off the rough edges, say to you, hey, I noticed that you're just afraid of being vulnerable with people. What's that about? Oh, that feels a bit owie. That's what local community is for. 
hey, I've noticed that you're really lavish with yourself. You buy all the latest designer gear, but whenever anyone asks for money, you don't have anything to give. What's up with that? Right, this is, this is what local community is for, so that we will grow together into maturity, into Christ-likeness. Why mission and maturity? I want to tell you the Bible has many, many models of terrible leadership in the new community church. In Acts 20, Paul talks to the elders at Ephesus and he says, even from amongst your elders, wolves will come out to destroy the church. That's poor leadership. Do you know what's interesting? He doesn't therefore say, therefore shut down the church in Ephesus. No point in the New Testament is there a reason to shut down a community even when there's a lack of health in the leadership. Read 1 and 2 Timothy, a church rife with false teaching even at the higher levels of influence in the community. Do you know what Paul says to Timothy? Shut down the church, not worth saving. Tell these people they're better off on their own. No! He's telling him to persevere in the community, to reshape the church, but at no point is he saying people are better off out than in. We're believing a lie that the enemy has rooted deep within Christian culture, which is if it's bad, walk away. The New Testament never says that. Now, I'm not saying stay in abusive places, but I'm saying don't give up on local church. Find a different church. And listen, if you tell me there is not a single local church, not about style, find one that you don't like the style of, that is irrelevant. But if you tell me there is not a single local church anywhere within driving distance of you that is in any way, shape, or form healthy, I'm going to tell you, plant one. What do you think they were doing? What do you think your Christianity is for? So... Ah, because that suddenly we're like, oh, no, 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 there's a great one. I can definitely join. Ah, none of us want to plant it. Yeah, planting is incredibly hard work. It will cost you everything. It will put you in the middle of warfare. So don't be so quick at judging church leaders left, right, and center. You don't want to do it. Don't blame them for doing their best. This isn't an excuse for abuse. I hope you're hearing me. Abuse needs to be dealt with. People need to repent. They need to be restored, but not just by sweeping along, uh, away the sin. That's not I'm to, what I'm talking about. But in culture, we are in a place where we are a crux of battle around whether it is worth belonging to local church. And the New Testament, it is so strong on this. You read the letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5. There is such horrendous incest happening in their community and they're proud of it. Do you know that letters were written to the leaders? The leaders read them first. The, readers led them, uh, the leaders read them out loud. So this isn't like the leaders don't know what's going on. It's not them. It's just a small faction in their community. The one Corinthians letter is read by the leaders, is written to a whole community. And Paul is saying to them, all of them, leaders included, how dare you be proud of the incest in your community? What would we do in modern times? Shut it down. Not worth saving. Proof that all of these people in Corinth should leave the church, give up on the whole idea altogether. No. 
Again, I am not advocating for staying in abusive spaces, but I'm saying we have no idea the warfare the church is facing, and we are willing to burn down the house again and again and again, and Jesus wouldn't. We need grace. We need wisdom. We need to deal with abuse and not hide it. But gosh, we cannot burn down the house. He still has the church as his primary acting point of the kingdom coming. He must know what he's talking about. Abuse, poor leadership, chaotic communities are not a new thing. They were happening in scripture and yet there is still an insistence on the local community. So one of the reasons I think people wanna throw it out is abuse or the rhetoric around poor leadership. Honestly, some people talk about this, they've never experienced poor leadership. But we get so consumed in other people's stories. This is why the gossip and voyeurism is poison. It will make you believe something is true of your experience that you've never even experienced. But another aspect of this is just the sheer inconvenience. Being devoted to something when you've got a busy life is incredibly inconvenient. Do you know what I, I find fascinating is we, we talk about this as if the early church knew nothing of that inconvenience. As if because they were all levitating off the ground, it was so convenient for them. It was so easy. Of course they were part of the new community. It was just all starting. It was so exciting. Hebrews 10 says to the new community, don't neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. I want to finish this sermon talking about your habits. But what I find fascinating about that is that this was a church experiencing horrific persecution. You want to talk about inconvenient? They were being fed to lions. Doesn't get much more inconvenient than that. I come from a nation where if you get baptized, you end up on a hit list. They don't let children generally get baptized because they know Someone somewhere knows that you have said you are committed and that makes you fair game. I was baptized when I was 13 in water, in the spirit when I was seven, but in water when I was 13. Because that's the culture I came from. You don't baptize children. They get fed to lions. It's inconvenient and they don't give up on meeting together. Why? because Jesus knows what he's talking about, because they have such a vision of the local expression. You see, in countries where there is horrific persecution, do you know one thing that is not up for debate is meeting together. They do it anyway. It's those meetings that get them imprisoned. It's those meetings that get them killed. You get that. No one's killing them for belonging to the theoretical body globally. They're killing them for local community. And I'm saying, I'm tired on a Sunday. It's not convenient for me. Jesus, shake us up. Wake us up. Don't give up on local expression. 
Jesus knows what he's talking about. Do I know all the ins and outs of why this is essential or crucial for you? Honestly, I don't. There are so many Sundays where I wish I could miss church, (laughs) that I'm tired, that I'm grouchy, that I've had a horrible week. I'm not saying let's be legalistic about this. I'm just saying let's get a vision for this. There is power here. It's kind of like taking communion. I can't fully define the power of it for you. His methodology is often a little bit bizarre. But if we wait to be able to fully define why and where the power is, we will never get on with his system. Because so many of the ways of Jesus are just a bit bizarre. This is why I'm saying this message isn't about legalism, it's about vision. And it's not primarily vision for the local church, it's primarily vision for what Jesus says. Are we a people who believe him enough to say, I don't get it, but I'll do it, and I'll do it your way? If you are in an abusive community, leave. I am not saying stay in abuse but find another community or plant one. Let's stand together. The church, the wisdom of God on display. I want to say it again, it is no exaggeration. Committing to a local church. And I want to say to you, if you're new to the table, this is not like a really long-winded pitch to force you to stay at the table. There are... (laughs) There are beautiful communities in Boston, all over this city. Communities that were planted before us, communities that have been planted after us. This city needs hundreds more. But what I'm saying to you is commit, commit somewhere. Join and be all in. Turn up when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. Turn up on time, please turn up on time. Turn up with something to bring. That's fellowship. It's contribution. It's participation. It's not, oh, I just turned up again just with nothing to bring. Sometimes that will be you doing an active devotion by simply turning up. So I'm not trying to dismiss that. But if that's us every single week relying on someone else to carry us through, I'm going to say to us, we need a better vision of what it means to contribute to the people of God. Turn up, show up, come for prayer. Come ready to pray when you come for prayer. I don't understand it all. I really want to be clear on that. I really don't. But I believe him. I believe him for mission in this city. I believe him for maturity in my heart. There are so many things in me that I am wanting him to shape and change. So many things that I'm still like, Jesus, why is there immaturity in me in this? I know the one place that I have hope of maturing and it's here. Because you're going to shape me. And you're going to sand off my rough edges. And you're going to say, hey, hey, Katya, when you did this, it's not okay. It's not mature. It's not Christ-like. And I'm going to hurt. And I'm going to feel it. And every part of me is going to want to say, how dare you? And then I'm going to go home and I'm going to pray and I'm going to cry and I'm going to say, they're right. 
And I'm going to come back to you and I'm going to say, that hurts so deep, thank you. That's how we mature. One of my favorite moments in the last three years is when Jeshua took me aside and he said to me, listen, that last meeting, you came in, you were grouchy, you didn't greet people, you were tired, it wasn't okay. I want to tell you, Jeshua has my respect for all time because of that moment. I could see he was shaking, he was so nervous. <laughs> but I'd said to the team repeatedly, we serve one another by shaping one another. I have no interest in creating an eldership team that just say yes to everything I think. I have no desire for that. Jesus is king, not me. This is within the context of healthy honor. You get it, right? But that is my hope because I believe him, that all the things I see in me that are not like Jesus, I know that this community will push me on in Christ-likeness. And that's ultimately my hope and my dream for all of us, that when we see Jesus face to face, we will have the offering of a life that is matured in him. Don't give up on the local church. It's imperfect, there isn't any other kind. Don't give up on the local church because of abusive leaders. Forgive them, move on to a place that is a little bit more healthy. It will never be perfect. Don't consume gossip and voyeurism in judgment. It will kill you. It will derail your destiny. There is no question about it. Don't learn from what is demonic methodology. Jesus, ultimately all of this, all of this series is us saying we don't always get it, but we do believe you. This is the Sunday Morning Podcast from The Table, Boston, where you'll find the latest teachings from our Sunday meetings. Find more from us at thetableboston.com.